Well, thanks for being here, church, as you have a seat. If you would, if you have a Bible, would you grab it and open up to Philippians chapter 3? Great job, band. Thank you all very much. Um, Philippians chapter 3. We are going to be concluding our series that we're calling The Surrendered Life. Uh, we've been looking at some different characters in the Bible. We've looked at Peter, how Jesus restored Peter in the midst of his failure, in the midst of his despair at the lowest point in his life when he had rejected and abandoned Jesus. Jesus restores him back and calls him forward into ministry. We looked at David, how he was caught in his sin, revealed. He was uh, brought to the carpet and David, rather than letting his sin crush him and no longer able to move forward, uh, David pleads and goes to God in repentance and God sets him on a new track. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and we're going to be looking at some words that he wrote. And I'm just going to say at the very front of this, that these are like just crazy words to say out loud. I was reading this and I was like, man, these are, how can you say this? This is really hard. It's just, it seems crazy to say the things that Paul says and, the th- and to live in the way that he calls us to live. And so I'll just say that right out of the gate, that this is like, what is he talking about? And I think this is one of the reasons why God calls us together as God's people to church. Because I think alone, we just can't do this. And he's writing a church. He's writing the Philippian church, and he's telling them together as a body of believers, strive to live a life like this. Before we jump in, I have two announcements. I already know we did announcements, but I had to get two more in. So uh, I'm going to sneak them in here. First of all is our next steps class. So if you're new with us, if you're going to attend Connect Lunch today, that's wonderful. I hope you can make it. Uh, If you want to pursue membership, if you want to learn the theology of Providence North, if you want to learn what it means to connect into community more deeply, we want to invite you to the next steps class that's going to be happening September the 11th, three Wednesday evenings uh, for about an hour and a half where we're just going to be walking through what does it mean uh, to, to do covenant membership together here at Providence North? How do we understand the theological framework that God has given us here to operate as a church? And then how do we live it out together? So I want to invite you to that. Yeah, there it is. That slide right there. Membership, theology, and community. So this is the first go around that we're trying sort of a class like this. So uh, we hope you can make it. We know it's busy, but it's going to be worth it. Uh, secondly, I want to announce this. We did a, uh, a video, our very own Britton Pittman. I don't know if Britton's here. He probably doesn't want me to call him out if he is. He is an incredible, creative filmmaker, photographer, and he put together this great video of who we are as a church. And so uh, we put it out on Facebook last week, and it's just a, it's a video meant to share the message of what God is calling us to be about here at Providence North. And it's just meant for you to use as a resource and tool uh, to have people in your life that need to know and love Jesus and be connected into a church home, that you could share it and uh, help uh, message who we are and let them see kind of what we're all about and um, want to encourage you to use that and be able to share that and it will help us um, get the message out about what God's doing here at Providence North. So that would be fantastic. It's on however you work the interwebs on social medias. So <laughs> click share or like or something like that and it will really help things out, I'm told. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read the first 12 and we'll save the the remainder for the back half. Listen to these crazy words of Paul to the Philippian church. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. That's, that's remarkable right there. Paul's in prison writing this. 
He's saying, what I'm about to write you, this is safe for you. It's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you while I'm in prison. Rejoice in the Lord. He goes on, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's talking about if anyone has reason to think that God would be pleased with them based on the things that I've done and the things I've accomplished, my religious resume, he says, I have reason to boast. And he's going to go on and tell us his religious resume. He says, I have more confidence circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I was a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law. Listen to this. He says, blameless. Blameless. But then listen to what he says. But whatever gain I had. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. I just know stuff about him. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. These are Radical words to say, to speak out loud. They seem, it just seems crazy. So we're talking about a surrendered life. And here's what Paul says of how to live a life surrendered to God. Not just a life that we have our commitments and we kind of ebb and flow in and out of it, but to live a life that just says, Lord, I want, I want all of you. You are more important than anything else in my life, than any of my resume, any of my accolades, any of my comforts, any doors that would have opened for me. I just long to have Christ. I want to I know him. I want to press on toward him. And so Paul describes in these verses what my prayer is for us as a church. Right? He shows us how valuable Christ is to him and to us. He models for us in his own heart how we are to relate to Christ today. And he shows us how central Jesus is to this whole thing. It's not just about going through the motions. It's not just kind of playing the religious game that sometimes I can get so trapped up in. I know that we all struggle with. He's saying the, this is... The, the value of Christ in our lives, the value of Christ for the church. Listen to, listen to these things that he talks about. He's speaking of rejoicing in Christ, glorying in Christ, knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Christ, making Christ his own. And finally, at the very end, he'll talk about obtaining the prize of Christ in the last day. It's like pervasive. Covers all of life, he says. And so I want us to look up close at this. These are not easy things to walk through because our hearts, like we talked about, they're just prone to wander, right? They're prone to go after other things. 
And so we need help from God. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't normally do, we don't normally think about while we're listening to sermons. Um, a lot of times we just kind of come in and we listen and then we just kind of leave and we go to lunch and, um, and maybe we talk about them in a community group. But I want to challenge us, especially with a text like this that's just so weighty and there's so much gravity to it and has so many implications in our lives. I want to challenge us to not just listen to the sermon, uh, but pray this text as I'm reading it. Like, Use this time. I don't, know if that, this, I don't know if you're used to doing that, but I want us to maybe get in the pattern of doing this. Not pray my words or any of my thoughts, but when we're reading the, the, the word of God, when I'm, when I'm saying these things that God has given to us in his word, pray that God would make these a reality in your life. Because without his help, we're in trouble. Like this stuff is hard to, it's hard to listen to. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you, like, it does, you don't need to do it out loud, Right? But you can just, maybe, maybe when we're reading this text, just say, Lord, help me do this. Like when, he, when Paul says, this is safe for us. This is a dangerous, it seems dangerous to me. I wouldn't have written that. It landed Paul in prison, right? He's being persecuted. He's writing a people that are going through persecution. And he's like, it's no trouble for me to say all this stuff to you. And in fact, this is the safest thing for you. This is the best thing for you. So may, I, I want us as God's people, as we're walking through this, pray, Lord, help me believe this. Lord, help, help the people around me believe this because we need his, his work to, for us to really live this out. And I think if we start living like this, if we start believing these types of things that are in God's word, the world kind of has to take notice there's just no denying there's something going on there with these people. That they would consider everything else rubbish, garbage, compared to what? The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Man, a group of people that are just running after that and helping each other up when we fall down, the world takes notice of that, I believe. So verse 1. Um, he begins, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So Paul, writing in prison, writes that phrase. And we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the Philippian church was uh, considered poor and afflicted. I'm going to move this. I'm going to trip and fall. Speaking of being afflicted, that would not be good. So we know that the Philippian church, they're, just, they're, they're poor, they're not, they don't have a ton of resources, they're being persecuted for their belief in Jesus. Paul, sitting in prison, thinking that his life is most likely going to end in a couple of weeks because of uh, his belief in Jesus and preaching Jesus crucified, uh, he writes, rejoice in the Lord, brothers and sisters. Church, rejoice. Have joy. This is an incredible thing to say to start out, Right? Paul's in prison, the hearers are poor, they're afflicted. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, this is no trouble for me to say this to you. Which means this for us. We don't have to have circumstances worth rejoicing in to rejoice in Jesus. This is hard for me. I don't know about you. This one's hard for me. We don't have to, Paul, if this is really true, and what the people in that church are walking through, this means 
that our circumstances, what we're walking through, what we're experiencing, what we're even enduring in the, in the moment, in this present season, doesn't dictate us having to rejoice based on what's going on around us. He says, he says rejoice in Jesus. He's better. He's better than circumstances. Joy, real joy, the Apostle Paul will tell us, does not come just through circumstance. The world will tell you different. Um, Paul says, be happy in Jesus. He's, a, he, he's enough. Even in a prison cell, even being poor, even being afflicted. It's not about comfort. It's about having him. So the first thing we learn about how Paul lived a life surrendered to Christ was that he counted Christ more important and more precious than any circumstance or any comfort in life. And I need help believing that. This is when we start praying, Lord, help me believe this. And a side note here, remember, this isn't a solo effort. A lot of times when we read the Bible or we hear texts in the Bible, it's just kind of natural for us to just sort of internalize it individually. And there's a lot of the Bible that we need to internalize individually, and it's good for us to do that. But remember, Paul's writing a church. So when he's saying these things, finally, brothers, rejoice. He's writing collectively to God's people. So church, to Paul, the, the body of Christ, the people of God, is instrumental in having us really be able to do this. This is something that you just, you just can't do just all on your own. That's why God saves us into a family of God, because we can lean on each other. When I'm having trouble rejoicing in the Lord because my circumstances aren't what I want them, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that can remind me of the good news of the gospel saying, hey, he's still with you, even in the midst of that. He's still with you, even in the midst of this. Right? So it's not just a solo effort, it's collective. It's, he's doing this together. And then he warns them about, he uses the, this term circumcision, but based on their acceptance of God. But you could add any religious rite or practice. In his day and age, that was it. Right? He warns them about people who think, oh, God will look at me as like, oh, I, I've done it all right, or, or I'm good with God because I do these certain things, these religious practices that get me in good right standing with God. So, so long as I do X, Y, and Z, then God will love me. And Paul says these are really hard words about people that think like that. He goes, look out for the dogs. Ooh. Look out for the evildoers who mutilate their flesh. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, we glory in Christ, not in all of our works. We glory in Christ. We boast in Christ and his work, not my work. My work doesn't gain me any favor with him. It's Jesus' work that does. So he's pleading with this church. Hey, don't fall into this line of thinking that as, as so long as you do this and you do this and you do this, then God will look at you and think, ooh, that's impressive. He says, Watch out for the dogs. It's pretty hard language. Paul says, people that relate to God like that, are, it's like a dog, right? He says, don't fall into that. Don't fall into that line of thinking. What is it maybe in our day? It's probably not religious kind of uh, 
heritage or pedigree or whatever, or maybe for some of us it is, but maybe it's like, oh, what makes me feel safe and feel accepted and feel hashtag blessed by God? Well, so long as I'm okay financially, so long as I have everything in my life looks the right way and my five-year plan is going the right way, then God must look at me. As long as I'm a really good person and I have good intentions, then God will look at me and be like, good job, you did it. Paul says, don't, don't fall into that. It's about Christ. It's about glorying in Christ, having Christ, knowing that he is your righteousness. He is your aim. He will be all to us. He says, that's how we do this together. That's how we treasure Christ together. And we are in church, and we're in community groups and discipleship groups and women's refresh groups and women's theology workshops. We do all that stuff so that we can be together to remind each other to make sure we're doing this stuff. Not just so that we can like run through the religious hoops, so that we can remind one another together that Jesus is worth it. Well, glory in Christ will help each other do it. Verses four through six, Paul then, but then he goes on because he's Paul and he's like, well, if anyone could do this, it would be me and here's why. And he goes on to list his religious and ethnic distinctives that he, the world would tell him, wow, look at, look at you. You had a lot going for you. Listen to this. He said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. It's like, that seems kind of arrogant. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. I'd surpassed it all. I got to the very top. I climbed the religious ladder. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I went after people that had to say anything about against me on this. As to righteousness, this is incredible, blameless, Paul says. I was blameless. I did it all right. I had the right pedigree. I was born in the right family. I had it all. And Paul looks at all of that, looks at his whole resume, and he says, it means nothing doesn't gain me any favor with Christ. It's a, great, it's a great resume, but that's not what I hang my hat on. It's like I'm, the, I'm from the right part of town, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got this religious thing down, zeal that has not been surpassed in any generation. And Paul looks at all those comforts, all the doors that, that would have opened for him. If you think about that, in the ancient world, he was like on track to have all sorts of doors open for him, a life of ease, just a scholarly life, getting to talk about all the things he was raised to know. He was advancing. He was moving forward. He was brilliant. He was well thought of. He was respected. He was liked. He was, he was climbing the ladder so quickly. And he was well thought. I mean, every, he was like, oh, that's Paul, right? He says all those accolades, he calls them garbage, Listen to this. Knowing all those doors that would have opened for me, I met someone. He intersected my life. He changed everything about me, gave me a new heart and a new mind. His name is Jesus, and so he's able to save verse seven and eight. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
knowing him. Not knowing stuff about him. Not being able to win the argument, though he could win. But knowing him. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him is more valuable than all my status. Knowing Jesus is more valuable than my wealth. Knowing Jesus is more valuable than all my religious accolades that I had achieved. Knowing him surpasses all of that, Paul says. And he's telling the church in Philippi, he's telling you and I, that's what he's to mean to us too. More than the stuff, more than all the things we run after, and we need each other to remind one another that this is worth it, that he's worth it. He is the one that produces more joy than all the things that we chase after, the shiny, pretty things. I was talking with a friend last week, and I was telling him what I was preaching on. I was like, oh, this is just, it's so weighty. Everyone's going to, I don't know, like maybe no one's going to come back to church after this because it's like, there's just hard stuff to believe. And, he, and my friend looked at me and said, it's, he goes, it reminds me of, um, I was trying to, like, there's no, there's no room for funny stories when you got texts like that, right? There's like no kind of crack up moments here. And, uh, but my, my friend reminds me, and I was like, yeah, that, that is a lot what it's like. The way that Paul's describing this, it's like when you, you first fall in love, right? And it's like that person, and you want to be near them, you want to get to know them, you want to know their story, you want to be around them all the time, and everything else is just kind of like, like all your friends are like, what happened to that guy? He, did he die or something? Because I haven't heard from him, he doesn't call me, he doesn't talk to me anymore. You're like, that, when I met Ashley, it was like... First of all, that she showed the, the slightest bit of interest in me was like a miracle from the Lord above. And so I was like, oh my goodness, I don't care about any of my friends. I lived in Lubbock. She lived in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. I knew her professors by name and barely knew any of my professors, okay? So I was like, I was driving to Arkansas like every other weekend, logging the miles. I just wanted to be around her. I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to know everything about her. I wanted to know her story. I wanted her to know my story. She preoccupied, I was just like, Love captured my heart and it captured my mind, right? And everything else was like, I don't care about my grades and I'll just, I just need to drive, I need to be around her, right? Paul's saying everything else that, that seemed like worth it to me and everything else that I strive for, I, I consider it all just nothing compared to having Christ because he's captured my heart and my mind. He's saved me. He's rescued me. He's cleansed me from my sin. He's given me more than I ever deserved and more than I could ever imagine. And so I just want to know him. And I want to know the power that he talks about, he's, that he says is mine. He says he's of supreme importance. Verse 7, I count all loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Jesus is worthy and worth more than anything else, Paul says. So this is the part where we should be praying as a church. Lord, help me. Help me count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3, verse 8. To know Christ, Paul says, is more important than anything. God, help me believe this. Than anything? What? Than family, than health, than job, than money? Yes. Yeah. When you have Jesus, he makes all those other things just even sweeter. They're just, if you can get them, if you have them, if he's blessed you with them. 
What are to, I was trying to relate it today. Josh, was, Josh always does a great job. He's like, we got, we got to make it, got to, how do you frame that in today? Because it's like most people don't they read Paul's words. It's like Hebrew of Hebrews. We don't, we don't talk like that. We don't necessarily feel like that. You're like, I'm just, you're like, Sean, I'm going to church in a dance studio. That's got to be worth something, right? It's like, what are the accolades here that we could relate to, right? What are the, the comforts? You're like, these chairs are not comfortable. I, don't com- I know there are other churches here in town, and I don't come here for the chairs, right? What, so what, what's he getting at here for us? What, are, what, are, what can we relate to on some of these things? <clears throat> I think today's accolades, I don't know, they may be especially around here, although not in the last couple of weeks, but like a big retirement fund, a 401k, right? Being known, being well-respected, having the right image, having the right appearance, having perfect children that do perfect things and make perfect grades and all have bicycle rides every day after, right? All the, like all these, uh, I, I, wanna, er, I wanna easy track early retirement. I wanna make sure all of my five-year plan is executed just so and just right. In Paul's day, it was religious accolades. So when he said that, people would swell with maybe jealousy or envy. Like, oh man, Paul had all that stuff. Well, today, it, it, it would have maybe been all these other comforts that the world has afforded you because of the track that you're on. And that we just, we spend hours and we think about and we plan and we execute and we get the Excel spreadsheets out and we make sure all the things happen, right? Paul reminds us that Christ is better than, than any of that stuff. Now, your plans aren't bad, but he's saying don't hang your hat on that. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, wow, look at them. Their five-year plan is going really well. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm very pleased with you. <laughs> Paul reminds us, says, it's Jesus. If you have him, you have it all. Even if you're in a prison cell, even if you're afflicted, even if you're poor, you can still have joy. This is hard to believe. To know Christ is more important than anything. This is essentially what Paul's telling us, than any comfort. So is he? Are you praying? Because this is a dangerous prayer to pray. Um, but Paul says, this is safe for us, which I find amazing. This is a crazy way to view the world. These are not easy things to say out loud, right? We have to pray this every day. God, do this in me. God, do this in me. By nature, I love the things of the world. I just do. I love the comforts of the world. I do. And Paul says, surrender all these comforts because Jesus is more. His joy, his, his banner over you, his love, his acceptance over you is better than any of these things we lean into and we chase after. So we've got to pray that God would do these in our lives, that we need believers in our life to help us. Because by default, I'm a lover of all of these other things before God. All these other things gain my attention and gain my interest and I can just run after them without God's help. God, unless you open my eyes to see the beauty and the reality of Jesus, I just won't see him. I won't love him. I I won't. Um, I'll read stuff like this and it will just kind of, it'll be like, if God doesn't do a work, I'll read verses like this, and it's like reading Chinese or German. I don't know how to read either of those. And I'll just kind of brush past it and be like, oh, that's weird. 
Must be kind of old Bible stuff. It's not really for today. Let's move on. I need God to help me believe this stuff because this is the very crux of it all. This is the point of it all. I just won't get it without God's help, without God's people. So God, move. Church, we're called to do this together. We're called to help each other. We're called to help each other treasure Christ like this. We're to love him more than any comfort. And we need help. So church, I want to implore you to be present for each other in this fight. As we strive for this, we can't do it alone. And I just, I, and I know y'all aren't here at a church in a dance studio because you just kind of want to go through the motions. I know that's not why you're here. If you are, you've been tricked. I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you're here. Um, we, I know there's, I know God has blessed us with just tremendous people and I feel privileged to get to pastor this group of people. And I know we, we want Jesus like this, but I think where we need to lean in is we need to be able to be vulnerable to do it together. Because we just, we can't on our own. We like to hear about it. We like to be challenged about it. But then we're like, let me just figure out on my own time and my own agenda. People that are in here, we need each other to remind each other of the gospel truths, to remind each other that Jesus is better. Because there's probably, if you're anything like me, once every five minutes that I don't want to believe that. And I need God's people to help me believe God's truth. That's why Paul's pleading with this church. So we need help. We can't do it alone. We're not created to do this alone. Church is a vehicle that this is to happen, that we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. And then verse 9, he explains why Christ is so much more precious than all of these achievements. What achievements do you hang your hat on? Well, some of you in here are like, oh, I don't have any, right? Zero. And some of you in here are like, well, I've been so squeaky clean for years. I got a lot of things I could hang my hat on. I've been doing this church game for years and years and years. So I've got a lot of religious performance I can lean on. Verse 9 tells us why both groups should take heart. Paul says, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. And he lists what that is. Righteousness under the law. He says, I was blameless. I had it. I got performance. I have morality. I've, I had it. And he says, I don't want it. I don't want to hang my hat on that. I don't want my life to be defined by just that. It doesn't earn me anything. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So being found in Christ is being united to Christ by faith. By faith. In a permanent relationship in a permanent relationship of identity with him. What do I mean permanent? So what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this is that to be united to Jesus is a permanent thing. It's in life and in death. We never lose our need to be united to Jesus, to be found in him. Because if you're standing with Jesus, you're standing with God. And that's exactly where we need to be. Standing with Jesus and all of his accomplishments, not my own, that I hang my hat on, is 10,000 times more valuable than any of my own righteousness, than any of my own comforts. Paul calls himself blameless. I couldn't stand up here and do that. But Paul says, I was blameless under the law. And he says, 
I don't want to be defined by that. I just need Jesus and his righteousness. And by faith, I can have it. And I promise you that when you're told that you maybe have a week or two to live, like Paul was in that situation, he's in prison, he, he doesn't know what, what, what lies ahead. Someone's going to come take his life at any moment. The one thing you'll want is Christ and his righteousness. That's the thing you're going to want. You'll just want to be swallowed up in Christ. That's what surrendering our life means. This whole series, it's, it's his work. It's what he's done. And by his grace, he allows us to walk in it. And he saves a body of people that we can walk in it together to help each other. And then in verse 12, Paul gives us one of my favorite statements because it helps me in this uh, idea of the fight of the faith and the total assurance that I'm going to make it to the end. Right? I don't know if any of y'all grapple like that with me, but it's like there's all these verses in the Bible that like strive forward, narrow is the way, the gate is narrow, few will follow the path of righteousness, wide is the path to destruction. There's all these things where it's like yearn and strive for Jesus, and, and then, but then it's at the same time, but it's like, but if we're found in him, we have total assurance that we're going to make it to the end. This verse right here is incredible because it puts these two things together perfectly. Listen to these amazing verses, verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on. There's the fight part. He goes, I press on toward Jesus. He's worth it. He's the prize. He's what I'm longing for. He's who I'm striving for. But here's the sweetest part. Here's the gospel. Because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. He's already, he's done it. So what that tells me, what that tells us is that we don't, like, we don't coast through this life. We don't just sort of take for granted being a child of God. We don't just drift through it and just say, oh, we'll figure this out one day. No, Paul says, Press on toward him, strive for him, long for him. He's worth it. Narrow is the gate. But the gospel, why do we do that? Not so that he'll love us, not because that accolade will gain us favor with Christ. He says, why do we press on and reach for him and strive for him? Because he already has us by faith. That's our motivation. Jesus already has us, and so we can strive on. We can press on toward him. He has a firm grasp on us. And why do we live like this? Verses 13 and 14 as we close. The final prize Paul points us to, to a surrendered life that we can say no to the, the, the comforting things or the things that, that we, uh, the pretty things that we chase after and we forget about Jesus. And Paul wants it more than anything. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, there it is again, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. God had called Paul through Jesus Christ, and the prize would be everlasting enjoyment and fellowship with him forever. That's what he's longing for. That's what he's looking forward to. So he's made, he, he's he's the upward call of God. One day I'll be with him. 
the fullness of joy with Christ, our author, our maker forever. That's the prize. And for this, for this prize, to be with him in glory, he counts everything else as loss and strains forward to grab hold of more of Jesus. Paul says that's how we live a life, surrender to him. To measure Jesus above all other things and we help each other in this. That's why he saves us into a church. So he saves us into a church family. We don't do this as isolated individuals. We do this together because we don't see our blind spots. We need help. Families need each other to remind each other of this good news, of this gospel that we strive for because he already has us in his arms. Community groups need each other to remind one another of this. Discipleship groups need each other to remind each other of this. Women's refresh groups need each other to remind each other of this. Morning men's Bible studies need to have each other to remind each other to do this because we forget. I forget. That's why we do all these things. They're just funnels that serve as the purpose of pointing us to more of Jesus. And I believe we've got to find more, not less ways of being connected to one another to remind each other of this call. To press in as the church together. Surrendering our lives to Christ together as the family of God requires us to remind each other to glory in Christ, to rejoice in Christ, that he's better than circumstances, that he's better than any comfort, that we can let go of the things that grip us, that we think, oh, if I just had that, that would be joy. Paul says, no, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord Jesus. He's better than any of it. It's about him. So church, I want us this year as we start a new semester to lean into this, to lock arms together, to be vulnerable with one another. It's not easy, but it's good. Invite someone into this church family that needs the life-transforming joy of Jesus in their life. Let them come be a part of it. Invite them into a community group. Invite them into one of your discipleship groups. And let's let the name of Jesus be exalted. That's what we want to do here. That's what we want to do here. Christ above all. May he do that in our midst at Providence North. And may he do it through us, God's people, reminding one another constantly, he is better. He is good. He is worth it. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, these are not easy things. They are weighty. God, I pray that as we heard the the words of the Apostle Paul, that we would take them to heart. God, I pray for my own heart in the places that I want to find joy in my circumstances and in comforts and in accolades or in whatever else it is, God, I pray that you'd help me just lay those down at your feet and say, Jesus, you're worth more. You're more valuable. I just need to have you. I need to strive toward you. I need to press on toward the goal, not so that you love me more, but because you already have me by faith. So God, I pray that we would be a people that would remind each other, encourage each other uh, in striving forward toward the Lord Jesus in all things, in every way. Help us when we fail and falter. Bring brothers and sisters in Christ to help us get up and help us walk forward when we're hurting. Reminding each other 
of the joy that is found in a life with you. You, the author and perfecter of our faith. You, our very maker, our creator. You that knows every hair on our head. Lord, what better place to be than it is with you? God, may we strive forward in that way. Help us in that. We need your help. We cannot do it alone. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship, church.